Hello, uh, my name's Luke, uh, and I will be reading the Bible for us today. Uh, we will be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 6, and so I'll just give you all a short moment to open up your Bibles and get that ready. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ayo, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ayo was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the, thresh- to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God, because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord, uh, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. 
I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you speak of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children until the day of her death. Well, thanks, Luke, and good evening, and welcome to Christchurch Nights. My name is Tim. And I'm the leader here at Christchurch Nights. It's wonderful to see you guys and be here to preach in person for the first time. Yeah, at least one person's excited. <laughs> Woo! It's very exciting. I'm sure you're smiling behind your masks. Well, that was a strange passage, wasn't it? Let's ask God for his help to unpack it. Someone said to me this morning after they heard the passage read, they said, what were you going to say after that? It was exactly the same thoughts I had about three weeks ago when I read 2 Samuel 6. But let's pray and ask God for his help because there's a lot in there for us to unpack. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray now as we turn to your word. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through it. And we pray that we would come to know you more and be transformed and changed more and more into the likeness of your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Never marry anyone who likes snow sports. Never marry anyone who likes snow sports because they will expect you to like snow sports too. Now, has anyone had this life-giving experience of learning how to snowboard or ski when you're an adult? Has anyone done that? Couple? Yes? It's this perfect mixture of terror and humility put on a public show as people are going on the ski lift, going, oh, there goes that new guy again. <laughs> it's terrifying. Well, when Elaine and I were out on the slopes for the first time together, I, I watched her zip down the mountain, just foo, 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 so smooth. And I thought, oh, that looks pretty easy. I think I could do that. And, and so I headed off. I pushed off and off I went, getting faster and faster and faster and faster. And then I thought, I think it's about now that I should turn. And so I tried to turn and I ate snow. <laughs> that was me. But I didn't give up. I was terrified of the mountain at this point, but I didn't give up. I kept trying, and what I actually learned on that first day of skiing is I learned that one needed to have a right awe, a right respect, a right fear for the mountain. One needed to lean into that, and then they would start enjoying the mountain. Well, this photo was me at the end of my first day. <laughs> it was a wonderful experience when I understood that a right fear of the mountain actually led me to enjoy the mountain for what it was. And friends, that's a little bit similar to what we get here in 2 Samuel 6. Uh, we learn that a healthy and humble fear of the Lord should not stifle our joy, but it should spark our joy. A healthy and humble fear of the Lord should not stifle our joy, but should spark our joy. So let's explore this idea as we unpack 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we see David in his first attempt of bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. He learns a very valuable lesson 
as a new king, he learns fearful humility. The time is right to bring the ark back. Last week, we heard that David had just been crowned king. Uh, they just defeated their enemies, the Philistines. And now it was right to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. And the significance, friends, of this act cannot be overstated. Uh, the ark was the symbolic presence of God with his people. Uh, it was layered with so many different layers of meaning. It, it reminded Israel that God was their ruling, reconciling, reigning and revealing God. And this great symbol of God's presence had been largely ignored during Saul's kingship. It had been left in this obscure town of Bilal since 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, almost a whole book ago, ages. And in this moment of triumph and celebration, David was symbolically bringing the glory and the name of the Lord out of obscurity. Now, to mark this occasion, he threw one party to end all parties. Did you guys see it when it was being read by Luke? Verse 1, he gathers over 30,000 young, able men. Uh, he sets the cart on a new ark, something that he later regrets. Uh, verse 3, he has the priests, Uzzah and Ahio, guide the ark. Verse 5, David and all of Israel are celebrating with all their might before the Lord in song and dance. Can you imagine this spectacle? We just started singing tonight. Wasn't that joyous? It's just 30,000 people plus the rest of Israel. It's massive. And in this joy and celebration, you'd think it all goes smoothly, wouldn't you? Well, tragedy strikes. Verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor at Nakon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died beside the ark of God. Now it's a shocking scene. The celebration, the dancing, the song would have ceased. A dead body lying motionless next to the ark of the Lord. And David's reaction is probably similar to our reaction if we were there. Uh, he was angry at the situation, verse 8. But he quickly moves beyond anger to the deeper lesson that God is trying to teach this new king. He moves to this deeper lesson that this new king needs to have a, a healthy and humble fear of an awesome and almighty God. And we see David starting to learn this lesson in verse 9. Have a look at verse 9 with me. It says, David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Now, this is a critical question that he asks at a critical juncture in David's life and his rule. His understanding of the Lord is expanding. He's learning that the Lord isn't under David's control. He's learning that the Lord has standards. He's learning that the Lord is all-powerful. He's learning that the Lord is holy. He's learning that the Lord is not someone to take lightly, not someone to trifle with. 
It's a bit like this moment in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Has anyone read or seen the movie? Great. That's more than the 8.30 service this morning, which is a win. You guys are well read. It's wonderful. Though you're true Anglicans, because there's still a front row that's empty, so you need to come forward. (laughs) But in this film, there's this interaction between Mr. Beaver and Susan. They're talking about Aslan, who's the godlike figure in the Narnia stories. And Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, says Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel really rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And friends, I think this quote captures this paradox of an almighty and powerful God. He's not safe. He's not tame. He doesn't fit into our nice, neat categories of what God should be. But he is good. God's not some fuzzy cloud fairy in the sky. But he's real. He's powerful. He's got standards. And he deserves respect. Now, it's a similar lesson which you learn on your first day of skiing when you're on a mountain. You have to respect the mountain. Otherwise, it will end up in trouble. And that trouble is usually a tree or someone else, or as I found, the car park when you couldn't stop. You need to respect the mountain. You need to fear the Lord. And this is a lesson that the Bible teaches over and over and over again. You guys know the passages. Proverbs 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Philippians, Christians are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And there are so many other passages which talk and remind us to fear the Lord. Now here's a question for us. Why do you think both Israel and Christians need to be reminded over and over and over again to fear the Lord? Why do you think that's the case? Well, if you're anything like me, you forget. As you go about your day to day, you forget to fear the Lord. You forget who God is. He's not right in front of us. It's not tangible. And we can forget so easily. And too easily, we actually think that we know a better way. We can do things our own way. And this was what brought Uzzah undone. God had clearly set out the specifics for how to move the ark. They're in numbers there. You can look them up later. But the instructions can be summarized as this. Carry the ark on poles. No looking at the ark. No touching the ark. And the consequences of breaking any of these rules is death. Now, God had graciously overlooked their failure to comply with the first two of these commands. But touching the ark, that was a step too far for God. And Uzzah should have known this. 
However, do you know the shocking thing? The shocking thing about this is as you scratch a little bit deeper, not only did Uzzah not obey God's word, but Uzzah actually obeyed the word or the way of God's enemies, the Philistines. Back in 1 Samuel 6 verse 7, they had used a cart to move the ark. And so he thought that would be the best way to do it. And so he followed them. In his presumptuous pride, Uzzah thought he knew best. And David points this out in 1 Chronicles 15 verse 13. He says, It was because of you that the Levites did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. Now friends, let us not make the same error. Let us cultivate a healthy and humble fear of the Lord, which leads us to follow his word as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And let us also resist that urge to blindly follow those around us who are just chasing after things like the mist. And let us flee from indulging in those pleasures or passions which we know go clearly against God's clear teaching in Scripture. Now, friends, we all know what they are. You know what they are in your own life. You know those pleasures and passions which you wish you could move beyond. God encourages us to flee from those. Now, friends, this side of the cross, we shouldn't be terrified. But sometimes... Just sometimes, we need a shocking reminder like 2 Samuel 6, that God is a God who has standards. God is a God who is holy. God is a God who we should not take lightly. God is a God we should not trifle with. He is holy. So let us cultivate a healthy and humble fear and reverence of God. But if I left this talk here, I can imagine we'd all go home a little bit depressed. Because that's not the God we know and love. That's not the full picture of the God we know and love. Because he's not just a God who is holy. He's not just a God to be feared in the best possible term of that word. But he's a God who we rejoice in. He's a God whom we love. And this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible is just not 2D. It's a lot more complex, a lot more nuanced. And this is the thing that we learn from 2 Samuel chapter 6, is we learn that a healthy and humble fear of the Lord should actually drive us to God rather than drive us away from Him. A healthy, humble fear of the Lord should drive us to God, not drive us away from Him. Or to put it another way, a right fear of the Lord should shouldn't suppress our joy, but spark it. Or this is the one I like the best. Someone said, a a, a right fear of an all-powerful God, before them we should both shudder and dance. We should shudder and dance. Now, I haven't seen any of you guys dancing at weddings, but I hope I will at some point. But I can imagine that some of your dancing does look a bit like shuddering and dancing at the same time. But that's how we should approach the Lord. 
And this brings us to our second point, that a fearful humility before an all-powerful God sparks obedient joy. And Psalm 2 captures this idea well. Psalm 2 says, Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Now you may be wondering, well, how do we balance this fear of God but also celebrate his rule with trembling? How do we hold these two things together, fear and joy? Well, if you let me indulge in another imperfect analogy, I want to explain this by using Formula One cars. In some ways, fearing God is a little bit like driving a Formula One car. If you don't fear and respect the engine, you'll end up crashing and having a terrible time. But if you fear and respect the engine, when you treat the engine and the car with the awe that it deserves, when you follow the instructions that you've been given about how to drive the car, you'll have a joyous time. You'll be flying around the corners doing 300 kilometers an hour. Wouldn't that be a great time? Leaning into the car, enjoying it. And this healthy fear sparks joy rather than stifling it. And this is the next lesson that David's about to learn. He sent the ark off to Obed-Edom in verse 12, and then he hears that God has blessed Obed-Edom, and so he goes up, verse 12, to bring the ark back with celebrating. Uh, Verse 13, uh, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord, do you see it's not on a cart anymore? They're carrying the ark of the Lord, they've learned, had taken six steps. He sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing the priestly garment of a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. Friends, here we see a picture. Here we see a picture of this healthy and humble fear of the Lord leading to joyful celebration. Now at this point, I want to pause. I want to pause and I I want to get you to reflect on yourself. Does the fear of the Lord lead you to sing and worship? Or does it lead you to be scared and worried? Does the fear of the Lord lead you to sing and worship? Or does it lead you to be scared and worried? Or worse... Does your lack of fear of the Lord lead you to joyless indifference? I had an interesting experience at a previous church. I was invited over to one of the members' houses to watch a sporting match. Now, Saturday night, he had me over and we were watching this sporting match. And he was one of those guys that got so into the game. Do you know those people? If you're sitting next to him, just give them a nudge so that they know who they are. But, but he got so into the game. Every goal that was scored, he was jumping out of his seat. He was giving high fives to everyone. And he was like going the, you know, the whole nine yards. He was getting really excited about the game. And then I saw him the next morning at church. We were singing and he was standing there like this. Not a skerrick of joy. Not a word uttered in praise. Couldn't even mutter a word of thanks to the God that he said that he followed. It was so sad. 
It was so sad to see the stark contrast that he would get more excited about a silly sporting game. And I love sport. But that he would get more excited about a silly sporting game than he would about his Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And friends, if any of us are lacking joy, could it just be that we are lacking a healthy and humble fear of the Lord? Could it just be that we've forgotten the might and grandeur and majesty of our great God? Or could we be like David's wife, Mikkel? Could we be fearing someone or something else? Did you guys see that when Luke was reading the passage, verse 16? David's wife, Mikkel, is looking out of the window and she sees David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she's not celebrating the return of the ark, but she's in her window despising David in her heart. And then verse 20, she goes out to him and you can hear the sarcasm dripping from her lips. She says, oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. Now her concern was not about the return of God's presence to Israel. Her concern was about right and proper kingly decorum. She was concerned about outward appearances. She was concerned about what other people thought of her and her husband. Now David, on the other hand, he, he doesn't care about these things. He, he sees that he's playing to the audience of one. He's marching to the beat of one drum. And this is what he says to Mikkel in verse 21. He says, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he anointed me ruler over the Lord's people. I will celebrate, and this is the key line, friends, before the Lord. From David's perspective, he had actually found this, this freeing power that comes from fearing the Lord. Not fearing anyone or anything else. Not worrying about the opinions of anyone or anyone else. It was only the Lord's opinion that mattered. And this freed him to dance with joy before the Lord. But friends, even as great as David was, he didn't get this right all the time. He didn't fear the Lord all the time. His life is littered with mistakes and murder and mistreatment. And there were many times that he forgot to fear the Lord and go in his own way. And to that end, isn't David just like you and me? Isn't he just like you and me? for all the times that we fail to fear the Lord, all the times that we celebrate a sporting match rather than singing praises to our God. But this passage isn't the last word. It's not the last word from God. Because as we know, King David, this great king, is foreshadowing the future king, the ultimate king, the king who will rightly fear the Lord and usher in this everlasting joy. And the prophet Isaiah promised this king long ago in Isaiah 11, 1 to 3, he promised that one of David's descendants would delight perfectly in the fear of the Lord. And friends, we know that this king came in the person of Jesus Christ, 
And it was Jesus who perfectly feared the Lord. And this perfect fear led him to the cross. And it was on the cross that fear and joy collide. And it was on the cross that God broke out and strikes down the truly innocent Son of God so that we could rejoice in the eternal blessings that he brought. And this is why we're told in Hebrews 12 verse 2, it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father at the throne of God. Jesus joyfully goes to the cross for all the times that we failed to fear the Lord. Uh, Jesus joyfully went to the cross for all the times that we worship the created things rather than the creator of things. And he endured the fear of death to pour out his blessings of eternal life to all who put their trust in him. And as the band comes up to lead us in song, it reminds us that he is drawing us to that heavenly celebration, that eternal celebration, where there will be no more fear, where there will be no more crying, where there will be no more tears, and where we will celebrate and dance freely in the presence of God. But until that day, friends, remember the lesson we learned from skiing. I pray that while we wait, I pray that we will lean in to the fear of the Lord. We would have a healthy and humble fear of him. And I pray that this would not stifle our joy, but spark our joy as we celebrate the eternal blessings that Jesus Christ brings. Well, it is time for a bit of Q&A with Tim. Your first live Q&A in the building. I feel like there's a lot of milestones tonight for you, Tim. A lot of milestones tonight, which is wonderful. It's wonderful to be here with you, Rach. What, what questions are you going to throw at me? Well, we've got, we got some really good questions tonight, and um, lots of them as well. So let me preface as well as end it with a reminder about Sermon Extra. If you're not in the habit of watching those during the week, I would recommend them to you because they're really helpful um, engaging with all these extra questions that we don't get to during the service um, and a way to really grapple with the passage during the week. So keep an eye out for that. But we're going to start with a question from uh, Meg who asked, why does David comment on being held in honour by the slave girls rather than God? Good question, Meg. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a great question. Just thinking of it in the context of what's going on. You have the presence of God returning back to Jerusalem, where, where God should be. He's been off in obscurity for so long. And you have this great moment of celebration. And you have Michal, Saul's daughter. And it's interesting, it says in the passage that she's Saul's daughter three times. It never says that it's David's wife. It's really interesting because the, the writer's wanting to draw attention to the fact that she's actually Saul's daughter. And, and she's the one who's confronting David. And so you've got this great massive thing going on. The whole of Israel. And then you have this then you zoom right in and you've got a husband 
and a wife having a chat. Not a great chat, um, but having a chat. And um, I think you have David here. You have David here in this passage saying, basically saying, I actually don't mind. I don't mind how other people will see me. Even I, I don't mind about the slave girls. I know that they will hold me in honor because I am actually honoring God in this. I will become more humiliated. And it's interesting. I don't know when you were hearing that read, but when I was hearing it read, I was hearing foreshadowings of the ultimate humiliation that Jesus was going to face on the cross, where he was wearing basically a loincloth, similar to what David was wearing when he was hung up on the cross in the ultimate humiliation, which brought the ultimate honor. And so I think for David, humility actually brought dignity before God, and that was where he found honor. And I guess it would be, that's kind of really describing his humility if he's acting like that in front of people who socially are are quite far below him. 100%. Mm. 100% rage, yeah. Great. Uh, Well, we had quite a few questions about this, so I'll try and put it all into one. Um, But Arlene's is top and puts it well, so we'll go with her wording. Um, She said, David dances in this passage, and this is seen as coming before God in praise and worship. So why is dancing not seen in all churches as a means of praise? Yeah, it's a good question. Thanks, Arlene. I actually think this is not so much a biblical question, but it's a cultural question. Um, You go over to other cultures, and the way they worship God is totally different from the way in which we worship God. Um, Yeah, I won't go into stories, but um, I've I've been in churches in other places where I felt totally uncomfortable but there were people having a great time joyously worshiping God all around me. And uh, I think actually when you come to Scripture, Scripture actually is quite free in how we worship. It doesn't go into the details of what you can and can't do. There's basically a couple of things which Scripture talks about that must consist in a church service. But it is, actually leaves us great Christian freedom in how we express that. And that's a beautiful thing. And so I think to go to the question, why here, maybe in a a more sort of Western, Anglo-infused culture, we aren't dancing down the aisles? It's probably a cultural thing. Um, I was at a conference once. I'll tell two stories. I was at a conference once, and there was a guy who stood right up the front wearing fluorescent It was fluorescent green. It was like a fluorescent green jumpsuit. And he was like going nuts in the front row. He was having a great time praising God. And everyone else was pretty quiet behind him. It must have been Anglican conference. And, uh, and, and, but he was having a great time. But the thing was, because he was right front and center, he was really distracting. And and we, we couldn't, anyone singing behind was just like, focused on him rather than focusing on what was going on. Um, thankfully, someone had a chat with him. And he, he actually kept dancing, kept celebrating, kept praising God how he wanted to, but he did it at the back. 
so he wasn't distracting for others. And so I think on, on one hand, we've got to balance that. Is, like, is what we're doing honoring God or is it, is it being distracting to others? So with that said, if you want to dance here in the evening, that's awesome. Please do. Um, do it. Uh, if you want to praise God in your own way, do it. Uh, but also then balance that with being conscious about those around you and how they worship God. And so I think there's a balance going on. Scripture doesn't say that we shouldn't dance. Scripture doesn't say that we should dance. Uh, but we should be joyful towards the Lord and do that in an appropriate way, depending on the culture in which we live. I hope, that, I hope that helps. I might pick more of that up in Sermon Extra um, and dig a bit more into that. But good question, Arlene. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. I think it's also interesting to reflect on David doing it in humility and, and what he was saying at the end. Um, and considering, yeah, whether you're doing it to praise God or to draw attention, that's always an important heart reflection oh, to do, I think. Yeah, yeah. Why are you doing it <laughs> is a very important heart question. Thanks, mm. Rich. But we are talking about um, fear of God and that bringing us joy. And so for our last question, um, a bit more of a practical one. Mm. I think I lack the fear of the Lord and have fearless indifference to his ways in a number of areas in my life. How do I get out? Is there hope for me? There is hope. Uh, there is hope. I think we all go through ebbs and flows in our faith. And we all go through really high points of when, you know, we feel really close with God and um, we, we're fearing him, we're following him, we're trusting him in our lives. And then there are times where we sort of go through low points, low seasons of, of trusting him. And I think in these times, the, the thing to remember is that God hasn't moved. God has remained the same. He will remain the same. He'll stay the same. Um, it's a bit like, I don't know if you've heard this analogy, but when you go in the surf and you, you start out between the flags and then after surfing for a little while, you look back and you see that the flags are way away from where you were. Well, it's not that the flags have moved. It's that we have moved. And often as we move away from God, uh, we move into that fearful indifference. But I want to encourage you, actually. Uh, Pete, Pete Merrick said it this morning. He said there's a study that's come out recently which has sort of identified, looking at 100,000 people, 100,000 Christians, that those who read their Bible four days out of seven actually developed and grew in their fear of the Lord, grew in their relationship with God. It, it started to transform and change their way in which they lived. And that, that makes perfect sense. Uh, because the more in which we deepen a relationship with our Lord and Savior, the more in which we know him, the more in which we hear from him, the more in which we'll be changed to be more like him. And it just sort of infuses us rather than becomes something that we have to do. It sort of becomes something that we naturally do and flows out of us. So I'd encourage whoever asked that question to keep digging into their relationship with God in his word and be infused with the joy that comes from hearing from our great God. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for answering those questions.